listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Welcome back to another episode of ACV Advocacy Updates. This is Claire, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist here at the American Council of the Blind. Sitting next to me is... Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. So thanks to everyone who's listening over ACB Radio, as well as those who have downloaded or are listening over their favorite podcast player. And as always, you can find out more about ACB and the American Council of the Blind at acb.org. And we'll say it again. We won't stop saying it because we want you guys to know. Um, we'll say it at the end, but I'll say it now. If you have any issues that you want us to address in the advocacy realm, please feel free to email us at advocacy at acb.org. So today we're really excited to have a conversation with some legal representation ACB's been working with for many, many years now. Um, they're a great asset to ACB, um, and that is an attorney from the Washington Lawyers Committee. Washington Lawyers Committee is a nonprofit right here in Washington, D.C., um, and I'll have our speaker tell us a little bit more about their organization, but they've been a great asset to ACB. So. The attorney we'll be talking today is Maggie Hart from the Washington Lawyers Committee. Maggie, do you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Washington Lawyers Committee? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Maggie Hart. As Claire said, I am counsel here at the Washington Lawyers Committee uh, for Civil Rights and Urban Affairs, um, where we work to create legal, economic, and social equity through litigation, client and public education, and public policy advocacy. Um, I have had the pleasure of working with Claire and Clark uh, around accessible voting and other disability justice advocacy, and I'm really excited to have this conversation today. Yeah, and Maggie, you might be, you are relatively new to the Washington Lawyers Committee, but ACB and the Lawyers Committee have had an ongoing relationship for several years now. Um, folks in our community are familiar with um, attorney, attorneys who have previously worked with the Washington Lawyers Committee, um, who are, we're still engaged with on, on issues, as well as other areas that we continue to work with the Washington Lawyers Committee, whether that's uh, regulatory issues with CMS regarding the accessible durable medical equipment or issues before the Federal Communications Commission. Mm -hmm. Yep, uh, ACD and the committee have been uh, good partners for several years and, you know, hope to continue working together for several more. Great. So specifically today, we're going to be talking about absentee voting. That's a big topic right now throughout the United States as more and more states are going toward absentee voting. It's kind of the new horizon of voting out there. And it's really struck the blind community, the blind and visually impaired community, because unfortunately, most forms of absentee voting are not accessible at this time. Um, but we want to be right there with everybody else voting absentee. In fact, in a lot of communities, it's really the only way you can vote because of the geography of the state or what have you, the infrastructure. So we were, we've been really fortunate to work with the Washington Lawyers Committee to start to address this issue. Um, so do you kind of mind starting from the beginning, Maggie, of um, how this issue began and the discussions we started to have about absentee voting? Sure. So, 
Yeah, this issue was uh, brought to our attention by ACB and some other disability rights advocates um, about the inaccessibility of paper absentee ballots. And um, as you just mentioned, Claire, there are a number of states that are moving towards um, either no excuse absentee voting or mail-in balloting programs only. Um, and so it's becoming an increasing problem for uh, the disability community that the only option or the most common option in the jurisdiction is absentee voting, um, but that the ballots are inaccessible because they are paper only. Um, and so we started to explore both the barriers that that creates for individuals with disabilities, but also some um, accommodations or online ballot marking tools that states were using as an accessible option. So, and Maggie, people in the disability community have fought for years to ensure that they have equal access to the polling place and that they can you know, freely and independently cast and verify their ballots. And it's a, it's a point of pride for a lot of our members. Um, but there are also folks out there who may not have access to transportation or might be incapable of making it to the polling place on election day. So in addition to the locations that are moving to vote by mail only or doing um, you know, early balloting and early elections as well, um, this is really an issue that can impact and improve the, the quality of life and voting experience for a lot of our members throughout the country. Um, absolutely, absolutely. And I would add to that that there are still a lot of jurisdictions that have inaccessible polling places. So e even if you know the individual could maybe could have transportation, they still once they get there, the building is inaccessible. Um, and so I think that an accessible absentee voting option um, would allow people to you know exercise their fundamental right to vote which is essential to participating in our democracy. And Maggie, as people with disabilities, should we expect anything different under the law, whether we are voting in person at the polling place or voting absentee? No, people with disabilities have the same right to cast their ballot privately and independently as any other voter. Um, you know, Title II of the American with Disability Act prohibits public entities from excluding participation or denying the benefits of a service program or activity um, of that entity. And so voting is a, a public service run by the state and uh, voters with disabilities have the same right to cast their ballot privately and independently as any other American. That's right, yeah. And Maggie, when we think about absentee voting, uh, immediately the thing that comes to mind is vote by mail. Um, yes. So what are, what are the limitations of a vote by mail system and what are we starting to see in terms of accessibility uh, for absentee voting? Yeah, so traditional vote by mail system is one in which you have to kind of apply for the absentee ballot with an excuse, whether that's um, that you will be out of the state or you have a disability. Um, and then the state mails you the paper ballot, you have to complete it. Um, you know, put ink to paper, read it. Um, oftentimes you have to fold it a specific way, put it inside one or two envelopes, sign those envelopes. Your signature has to match with the signature that the um, 
county clerk or secretary of state has on file. Um, and then you have to physically take that paper ballot to either a, a, a drop box or um, the mail and send it back. And so each step of that could present a barrier for an individual with a disability to cast their ballot, um, whether it's physically you know, doing each act um, or getting it done with the assistance of somebody else. I mean, the, the right to cast a private mm-hmm. and independent ballot is essential. And I don't think that voters with disabilities should have to kind of concede that right in order to cast their ballot. Um, so those are some of the, the barriers that a traditional absentee voting system creates. Um, some of the solutions that are out there are online ballot marking tools or accessible mobile voting apps. So we have, sorry, go ahead, Claire. <laughs> so you just used the term, um, uh, well, uh, oh, I can't say it already, um, <laughs> ballot marking devices or BMDs as we often hear. Um, I know that's been a topic we've talked a lot about and something that we um, continue to advocate for. Can you kind of explain what a ballot marking device is and how people with disabilities can use those to independently and privately vote? Sure, so a, a ballot casting device, my understanding, is that the if the state allows that um, individuals with disabilities can have their ballot sent to them electronically they can complete the ballot online using um, text to talk software or whatever is appropriate for that person in order to, to complete the ballot and then typically the ballot is um, printed out and the individual still has to sign it and mail mm-hmm. it back okay all right and now i think that's a good place to jump into what's been going on in west virginia sure so west virginia uh has has traditionally had a a very um very traditional absentee voting program meaning that you need to have an excuse to vote absentee um and the traditional absentee ballot program there was by paper ballot only. Um, A couple of years ago, they had a pilot program for mobile voting for individuals who voted uh, under the Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voting Act, UOCAVA, Mm -hmm. which allows members of the military and citizens abroad to vote. um, And they started allowing them to vote on using a mobile app. Um, and they did two pilots with uh, a good number of people voting using the app in several countries. Um, they did some security audits of the app, showing that the, the ballots were secure and audited um, to maintain the integrity of the vote. And, um, you know, we, we saw this and we thought that it might be a good option for individuals with disabilities. Mm. Yeah, so this is something that uh, Washington Lawyers Committee and ACB um, have been working on throughout 2018. Uh, We've had conversations with our members within the Mountain State Council of the Blind, our West Virginia affiliate, and we got to the point where we approached the uh, was it the Secretary of State's office in West Virginia to discuss this issue. 
Yep, and the members from the uh, Mountain State uh, affiliate were great. You know, they were really responsive and um, care about this issue because if there's an accessible electronic balloting option, it would benefit a lot of people in West Virginia. West Virginia has um, the highest rate of disability in the country, mm -hmm. and um, the the affiliate there was just really responsible, responsive, and great to work with. Yeah, and, and also a, um, a fairly rural state as well. So yeah, e yeah. even folks who have the physical, uh, you know, physical sensory or mental capacity to go vote in a polling place, transportation could still be a major barrier preventing them from fully participating um, you know, in their civic duty as a patriotic American. <laughs> Right, right. And so, as you said, Clark, we approached the West Virginia Secretary of State's office because there is some uh, legal precedent within the Fourth Circuit, and West Virginia is within the Fourth Circuit, um, that if, if a state has an accessible electronic voting system for one section of the voting kind of public, um, then it is a reasonable accommodation under Title II of the ADA for them to allow individuals with disabilities to use that same accessible voting system. And so we approached the Secretary of State asking that the system they had in place for the Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voting Act um, voters would be permitted for voters with disabilities as well. And in the state of West Virginia, um, you know, just like many other states, they have a bicameral legislature. Mm -hmm. um, they have the, the, the state governor, um, Governor Justice, what a great name, <laughs> who is the, the current executive of the state. And the Secretary of State's office was able to relay uh, the concerns of the Washington Lawyers Committee and ACB um, to, all, to all parties. And they understood the, the challenges that were um, in their current system, um, but they also understood that this is an issue that they need to get right. Um, so they've, they've been very willing and able to work with us throughout the, the second half of 2018. And Maggie, we've had some, uh, some real progress in this area, haven't we? Yeah, we have. Um, you know, we, we've built, I think, a great coalition with, um, different partners in West Virginia to approach the Secretary of State and then the legislature. The House passed a bill allowing um, the electronic transmission of ballots, which would allow the use of an online ballot marking tool or mobile voting app. Um, now, I guess about a week and a half ago, um, and the Senate passed it just this past Friday and it is headed to the governor's desk for signature. That's exciting. We can note these don't always air right when we record. So today is um, January 28th. And so by the time you're listening to this, fingers and toes crossed, it might be signed by the governor. We'll wait and see. And we'll of course get that information out to everybody, but we're excited to see when it'll go forward and get signed by the governor. Yeah, we're very excited to see it and um, very hopeful that these accessible balloting options will be available to West Virginia voters uh, in the primary, in the 2020 primary. Uh, like Claire said, that's so exciting. Um, 
not only that this issue has moved forward in West Virginia and um, you know more states are offering accessible absentee voting options, but that it can impact the upcoming elections in this you know this presidential election year. You know there there's already so much election coverage out there, and mm -hmm. our people can now be included um, in that process. So. It, Maggie, once the, once the bill is signed into law and this program is going to be expanded to people with disabilities statewide in West Virginia, um, is the system, I mean, the system that they're going to put in place electronically, that has to be accessible too, correct? Correct. Yeah. The, the, the system they're going to put in place has to be accessible. Um, and they do have, they have an accessible option. Um, the way it will work is that the ultimate decision of what system to adopt lies with the county clerk, but the Secretary of State's office um, has a mobile voting app that they have used for the UOCAVA voters in the past in these pilots that is accessible. Um, and so that will be an option for the clerk. Do you think it's likely that that's what most counties in West Virginia will be likely to adopt? I know it's obviously only speculation, but. Yeah, so that would be speculation at this point, but I do think it's likely the um, the app, you know, has been tailored to the the ballot in West Virginia already. The ballot will be uploaded in there according to, according to West Virginia's um, you know code on how that has to be formatted and everything. And so I, I think it I think it is likely. Gotcha. And Maggie, men, many of our listeners and members know that we've been working on this issue for quite some time, and they have questions about why West Virginia. And I think you did a great job of explaining how it was the the right set of circumstances um, of existing practices, being in the Fourth Circuit where there's already legal precedent. Um, but for folks in other states, do you have any recommendations on how they can influence um, the accessible voting practices within their states? Sure. So, uh, um, I think two of the big things that, are, are, that you just touched on, I think one is to look at what the state is already doing for other populations of mm -hmm. voters, in particular, the uniformed and overseas citizens absentee uh, voters. Um, several states have electronic or um, uh, online ballot marking tools or apps for the UOCAVA voters. And if they're already in place for some, then kind of the hurdle that the state has to overcome in order to implement that for voters with disabilities is, is smaller, right? Because they already have the system. It most likely already has, like I said, like a ballot um, in it that conforms to the state's code. Um, and when, if, if the UOCAVA voters are using it, it has probably been audited for security. Those are some of the issues to look at for the device or online ballot marking tool that you would, you would want the state to implement. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, to talk to um, some advocates that work in the voting space in that state or attorneys about around the legal precedent. Um, the Fourth Circuit had a specific case uh, where um, the state of Maryland 
was found to be, you know, they, they, the court said that they had to implement an online ballot marking tool as a reasonable accommodation. And so um, with West Virginia in the Fourth Circuit, that case, case applied. But um, you would need to look at the, the state of the law in your state or in your circuit. Um, I, I also think there are now a number of um, voting jurisdictions that are doing either the online ballot marking tool or the app. Um, there's a county in, in Utah, there's some in Oregon, I believe um, Denver have all moved towards electronic, allowing electronic ballots for individuals with disabilities. And so to, to look, look there, maybe connect with the advocates there, see what they did, um, you know, use the kind of the power of the disability rights community, the power of the disability rights vote to, to learn from each other. Um, I also think, and we didn't get into this as much in our case because we were able to work with the government in West Virginia as opposed to filing litigation, but, but I think the accessibility or lack thereof of the state's polling places could potentially be used as um, a, a point in negotiation as mm. well. Um, it, you know, the the bigger the problem with accessibility at polls, um, the more that that an app or online ballot marking tool would um, create an opportunity to vote for individuals with disabilities and. I think that while the case law doesn't touch on that, there's a motivation to at least have one accessible voting option for individuals with disabilities um, for the state. I personally think states should have several accessible voting options, right? People who of want to in person should be able to, the online ballot marking tool should be able to, um, curbside voting if that's something somebody wants. But the key is that no matter which way an individual chooses to cast their ballot, they should be able to do so independently and privately. Of course, yeah. Great, well, thank you so much. And it's been great working with the Washington Lawyers Committee on this project, as well as other projects. Um, you guys are a great asset to us here at the American Council of the Blind. Um, for instance, Clark said, I believe earlier that one of the other projects we got, we're going to continue to work with um, the Washington Lawyers Committee on is um, durable medical equipment issues, for instance, in the diabetes space. So um, you guys are a great asset to ACB, and we look forward to working with you guys. Um, also, as a fun plug, for those of you attending the leadership conference slash legislative seminar in late February, Maggie will actually be there to present on this case. So you can meet her in the flesh if you would like. So we're very excited to have you. And Maggie, yeah, I'm very excited about that as well. Looking forward to it. And um, I can only kind of echo what Claire has said. It's always a pleasure to work with ACB. And, and we, we, I think, um, care a lot about, you know, a lot of the same issues. So it's really always great to work with you guys. And Maggie, right here, right now on this podcast, are you willing to guarantee for our members that this bill will be signed by the legislative seminar? I very rarely guarantee anything. 
<laughs> Spoken like a true but, attorney. <laughs> but I, I sure hope so. And if it is, we will definitely talk about it at the seminar. Awesome. We love it. Well, if the name of his, the name of the governor implies that he's truly for justice, hopefully there will be no problem. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So again, Maggie, thank you and the Washington Lawyers Committee for working with us on this issue to expand voting access to accessible absentee balloting and voting in the state of West Virginia. We look forward to working with you, continuing our work with you on accessible, durable medical equipment and many other issues down the road. And just as a, a push, we hope that all of our listeners who are from West Virginia can um, take into account everything we've talked about and know what access rights you'll have in this upcoming primary and then um, presidential election. If you have any questions about that, let us know because we're excited to see what's going on in your home state. And you can reach out to us at advocacy at acb.org, um, whether that's for accessible voting in West Virginia, or if you have questions about your own state, or you have any other issues that you'd like to share with us. And Claire, with the help of the Washington Lawyers Committee, what do we always tell folks at the end of the podcast? Keep advocating. listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.